please turn in the scriptures to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We are coming to uh, the end of this book, so Paul is uh, wrapping things up, uh, as it were. We have one more a message from Philippians, uh, uh, so we're looking this morning at uh, verses uh, 10 through 13. Last week, we talked a little bit about anxiety. Uh, that's in our passage uh, from last week, uh, from uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Uh, and, and there we learned that anxiety can be overcome by joy and peace because the God of peace is present in our lives. And so the big emphasis of that passage is the presence of God. Uh, verse 5, the Lord is at hand. He is near. Uh, verse 6, uh, he invites and hears our prayers, our anxious request, if you will. And verse 7, he is present in our hearts and minds. Uh, his peace, that is, is present and guarding us from the cares and the chaos of the world. And in verse 9, uh, even better than simply the presence of his peace in our lives, the very God of that peace is present in our lives. And so knowing and experiencing His presence is the best way to confront our anxiety. Uh, this week, uh, Paul gives us instructions on how to uh, combat um, anxiety's evil twin, if you will, and that is discontent. And so follow along, uh, again, verses 10 through 13. I remind you, this is God's very word to us. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Uh, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask for the help of Your Spirit, please. Lord, Spirit, come and speak to our hearts the very things we need to hear. We pray Your grace upon us that we would understand, that we would apply we would be transformed by your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, contentment, as you well know, is very elusive to us, isn't it? It's very hard to come by. There's a couple of reasons for that that I'll, I'll give. There are more reasons than this. But one of them is that we live in a culture that um, actually capitalizes on discontent. If you watch the Super Bowl, you know, one of the reasons a lot of people watch it is for the commercials, right? 30-second commercial, $7 million it cost to run that little 30-second ad. Um, commercials capitalize on our discontent, don't they? Your life would be better. It would make more sense if you had this product, if you experienced this thing that we are presenting to you. And so we live in a culture that capitalizes on discontent. And so we're kind of fed this discontent. And, and there are things out there perhaps that would bring us contentment. That's the other thing because contentment is uh, elusive in that we imagine we will find it in things that really weren't designed to provide it. 
So if anxiety is the question, it's about the question, what if, looking to the future, what if I don't have enough? What if this happens? What if that happens? If it's looking in the future and it's asking the question, what if? Then discontent is dealing with the question, if only. If only I had this, I might be happy. If only. If only I had a better blank. If only this would happen to me, I would be happy or I would be content. If only. If only. If only. What's your if only? I mean, what? If this would change in my life, then life would make sense. If this would change in my life, then I might experience contentment. Christians, of course, are not immune and nor was Paul or the first century Philippians immune to discontent. Here at the end of Paul's letter, he, he turns to their actual gift and he wants to thank them for their gift and focus upon that. But he uses that as an opportunity to again teach and instruct as they struggle with the difficult circumstances that they're facing, right? They, they are being persecuted. They are being pressured from the outside. They are being challenged from the inside, all those conflicts that are happening within the church. These difficulties are creating both anxiety and discontent within them. So Paul decides that he will use this opportunity of their gift to him to give them some reasons or some ways, if you will, of true contentment. Three keys we'll focus upon uh, from this text this morning. Three keys to true contentment. First, reliance upon God's provision. That'll be verses uh, 10 and 11. And then we'll look at the reliance upon God's control of our circumstances. This is uh, verse 12. And then reliance upon God's strength is verse 13. These are the keys to contentment. Or we could say it this way, because God provides, because He controls, and because He strengthens, we can and should be content. First, let's think together about relying upon God's provision. Relying upon God's provision. Note there in verses 10 and 11, where Paul is telling them that he is greatly gladdened by their revived concern for him. Uh, but then he speaks there in verse 11, and their, and their concern actually resulted in a gift coming to them from their friend Epaphroditus. Uh, but then he says in verse 11, uh, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's grateful and he rejoices in their concern and their gift, but he wants them to realize that he was not dependent upon it. He was not dependent upon their gift. He wasn't even dependent upon their concern. He was not in dire straits before they sent it. Why? I'm not speaking of being in need. I wasn't... uh, It wasn't that God wasn't providing what I needed. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Paul was under house arrest at this time, right? He's in prison. 
He is chained to a Roman guard. He has to provide for his own needs, his own food, and so forth. He is waiting for a trial which will determine his fate, life or death, at the hands of the emperor. But he knows and relies on God who has always provided for him the things that he has needed. So no matter the situation Paul is in or the circumstances that he happens to be under, Paul realizes and he has learned through all of those experiences to be content because he knows that the Lord will provide. Now this knowing that God is going to provide for my needs does two things that I want you to note. It does two things in Paul. It will do two things in us. We see these as well in verses 10 and 11. First, it produces a grateful and joyful heart. We see this in verse 10, right? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You see here just this oozing gratitude as well. Not only for the Philippians, their concern and their gift, but he, produ- he has this grateful and joyful heart. We have seen it throughout of the letter of the Philippians, uh, that he is already rejoicing, isn't he? Even in his dire circumstances, he's rejoicing. But this rejoicing and this grateful heart is enlarged even by the Philippians' thoughtfulness and their kind actions. This gratitude and joy is in the Lord. You see that there in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord. It tells us where his focus is. It is in reliance upon the Lord's proven and faithful provision. Thus, it's not the result of or dependent upon or even affected by people or his circumstances, his joy and his gratitude. It's not dictated to by his circumstances or the people that he has expectations upon. Thus, he had no expectations upon others. He has no expectations upon the Philippians. He has no expectations that his circumstances have to be a certain way for him to rejoice, for him to be glad, and for him to be grateful. He doesn't have to have specific things provided uh, that he lacked in order for him to be grateful. His reliance is upon the Lord and the Lord's faithful provision for him in all manner of circumstances. And even in all varying degrees of abundance, sometimes more than he needed, sometimes only just what he needed. But the Lord provided, and this produced a grateful and glad heart. And this taught him to be content. This is how he learned to be content. For the Lord graciously provides for him. A second product of relying on God's provision here that we see in this text is not only uh, not only does he have this glad and joyful heart, this thankful heart, but because he relies on God's provision and he's not relying upon people or circumstances for what he needs, he is thereby enabled to be more concerned for others than he is for himself, which is the very thing he calls them to in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In verse 10, you'll note that he is concerned about them. He is concerned for them imagining that they were late in coming to his aid. 
He uses the word here, revived. Uh, I, I greatly rejoice that now at length you have revived your concern for me. But he's saying there that the, the concern was not dead, it was dormant because of the lack of opportunity to send me the gift. I understand that. I know that. I wasn't waiting for your gift. I wasn't dependent upon your gift. I wasn't sulking because you hadn't acknowledged my hardships. And I know that your concerns were revived for me. What that means, that actual word means, it means it's talking about that which is dormant, that which is in hibernation and then comes to blossom. We're getting that time of the year. Got daffodils popping up out of the ground. Other, other flowers are beginning to sprout. Soon we'll have trees sprouting. It's that revival that Paul is, is grateful for. They've revived their concern for him. And, and now they've had opportunity to send him some help. They've had the opportunity. Epaphroditus is able to travel to Rome and bring to Paul their gift. But his concern is not, give me the gift, I need it. His concern is about the way they, they feel like they failed him. <laughs> Let me assure you, brothers and sisters, you have not failed me, Paul is saying to them. I know you didn't have an opportunity, and besides that, I'm not even in need because God provides for me. Now, he provides for me via these kinds of means, but I'm not dependent upon you doing something to meet my need. I'm dependent upon the Lord who provides. So God is faithful to provide. And as he provides, we are more able to understand his provision and thereby be content. So do you rely upon and trust in God to provide the things that you need? Or are you guilty of kind of relying upon others to act towards you in certain ways? Now, this can be financial needs, but this can also be kind of the emotional stuff. Are you dependent upon others to fill you up? Are you dependent upon others to treat you in certain ways? And are you devastated when they do not treat you in certain ways? Are you overwhelmed by the situations and circumstances that come in your life? Because you're not convinced that God will provide what you need. God provides. He is faithful to provide. And until we trust that He does provide, we will continue to struggle with being content. A second key to true contentment is to rely upon God's control of our circumstances. I get this from verse 12. God controls our circumstances. We must know and trust that our circumstances are ordered by God. This is an important theological truth. That God oversees, He regulates, He is involved in everything that happens to me. This important truth is essential for us to learn to be content. 
So Paul teaches not only in verse 12, but also in verse 11, this idea of learning contentment. Contentment is learned. You know what that means? It's not natural. We are not predisposed to contentment. One commentator said it's not, it's not pre-installed you know, software in us to be content. It is something that we learn through experience, through practice. Paul knows that it is God who put him in all the circumstances that he has experienced. And Paul's experienced all kinds of circumstances. You know his story. The humiliating situations, he's brought low, sometimes humbled, sometimes humiliated. The times of lack, the times of even hunger, he says there in verse 12. As well as there are times of abounding and abundances where he had plenty, actually more than he needed. But he has learned, he has been taught by the Lord who uses people and circumstances to accomplish his purposes, to, to accomplish his plans in us, in the people around us, in the world around us. Knowing that, he realizes that God is ordering his circumstances. And because God orders his circumstances, orders our circumstances, like Paul, our contentment, is not at the mercy of our circumstances, right? Whether it's good or pleasant circumstances or difficult or painful circumstances, our contentment is not at the mercy of others, whether they treat us well or whether they do us wrong. We're not slaves to what happens to us. We are not victims to the way people treat us because God is the one ordering our circumstances. Now a note here, you need to make sure you see this. I know how to be content even when I abound, even when there's abundance. You realize what he's saying here? It's that abundance does not produce contentment. Abundance can never be the source of contentment. If you imagine that abundance can be the source of contentment, then just look at Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Seriously, they have everything that many of us believe would bring us contentment. They have status. They have fame. They have wealth. But would you want to change places with them? They're not happy people. They are not content with what they have. So abundance is not the answer. And that's an important point to, to see here because abundance is a temptation to self-sufficiency and self-reliance. But it's not true contentment because the very fact is tomorrow all of that stuff that you're uh, relying upon could be gone. Abundance is just as dangerous as not having enough or not believing that we have enough. True contentment. True contentment is being content. It's, it's this inner equilibrium 
in all kinds and any kinds of circumstances in life, all the ups and downs, whether in plenty or in want. Now, this is not stoic self-sufficiency, mind over matter. It's not suck-it-up buttercup discipline. That's not what this is. But rather, in verse 12, Paul says he has learned the secret. So it is a learned secret. But Paul has declared that it is really no secret at all, for we see the secret unveiled in verse 13. So God provides what we need, and He orders our circumstances. All of them, all the good, all the bad, yes, all the ugly. But the secret that Paul has learned in order to be content, he reveals in verse 13. God provides us with power. He provides us with the inner strength that we need to be content. Again, this is not the stoic inner strength to exert rationale over emotion in response to all the external variables, people and circumstances. But Paul shows that the strength does not come from within. It doesn't come within us or from us. It comes from outside of us. It is the power of Christ at work in us. His Spirit dwells within us, and that Spirit empowers our being able to do all things, he says there. And the all things in the context of this passage is to endure and be content in all circumstances, including the hard and the dire circumstances. Don't do what so many do and pull this verse out of its context. Is speaking here about being content in hard things. By relying on the unstoppable power of Christ. Remember in chapter 3 and verse 21? It's that power that will one day transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. It's that power of Christ. It's the same power that He is using to put everything under His feet. It's unstoppable power. And He gives to us that strength that we can and must then, by it, be content. This is the secret that Paul has learned, but it is no secret to you and I. It's not stoic self-sufficiency, but it is Christian Christ-sufficiency. How do we draw on this power? How do we tap into this power, if you will? In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8, believers there, you might remember, are likened to a tree planted by a stream. A tree planted by a stream of water, what does it do? It sends its roots to the source of the water. Under the ground, it goes to the water. So that when the drought comes, when the dire circumstances come, the tree continues to be green and bear fruit. Similar way, that being likened to believers, a similar way we find our source in living water, don't we? 
drawing from Christ's deep well of strength, of peace, of life. And this drawing out from Christ, what we need enables us to be content in situations and under circumstances where it is humanly impossible to be so. So we can and must be content because God provides all that we need. He orders and controls all of our circumstances and He strengthens us to be content by the very power of Christ Himself. So the question begs to be asked. Are you content? Brother and sister in Christ, are you content? Do you consistently wage war against grumbling and complaining about your circumstances? Remember the call to that in chapter 2 and verse 12 and following? Verse 14 particularly, do all things without grumbling or disputing? Are you waging war against grumbling and complaining about your circumstances? Do you consistently resist needing and desiring more or something different in order to be glad, in order to be content? Do you fight against the temptation to fixate and to focus on all that has gone wrong in your life? Even those things that are truly wrong, being sinned against, unfairly and unjustly wronged. Do you fixate on those things? Or do you fight against those things with the power and the strength that Christ has given to you? It's to focus and fix your attention on Christ is the call here. Focus and fix your attention on His presence in your life, which we argued from verses 4 through 9 is real. It is, he is present with you. He is Beside you, fix and focus your attention on the fact that He provides all that you really need. Fix and focus your attention on the reality that He orders all of your circumstances. There is no accident, there is no abuse against you that is not in His hands under His sovereign control. Fix and focus your attention upon the strength that He offers to you and draw upon it. And the way you do that is you ask for it. Lord, give me strength to be content in this circumstance. This thing I have fixated on all my life, give me the strength to not fixate on it anymore. Give me the strength to be content. Assure me of your provision. Assure me that you are ordering all my circumstances. It's hard for me to believe that, Lord. Help me. When we fix and focus our attention upon what the Lord has given to us, what He does for us, then we begin to learn then we begin to know 
And then we will grow in true contentment. I call you to this, brother and sister in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come asking for your grace upon us that we that, that we would be more aware of your provision, of your ordering, of the strength that you give to us. That we would trust you for these resources and that we would know that you give us and have already given us all that we need. We're not dependent upon circumstances or dependent upon people to provide for us the things that we feel we lack. Would you help us to see these things? Help us to embrace your provisions, your gifts to us. And to learn and to be content. We need your help. It is not natural. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.